Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Uh, in the movie Joy, um, the character, the main character there, played by Jennifer Lawrence, is a single mum. Uh, she's kind of supporting her extended family. She uh, works really, really, really hard all the time. And uh, if anyone is busy, if anyone knows what busyness looks like, it's this uh, person, uh, she's actually playing a, a person who lived in real life. And one day she invents a mop. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's this crazy story about how she starts her own business and she invents a mop and kind of her life becomes a little bit different to what it was. But in the midst of this movie, you're kind of wondering how is it that someone's so busy, so driven by stress, so overwhelmed with the pressures of life, is it even possible for them to find joy? Is it possible for them to have a life? Is it possible for them to find a purpose in life at all? Uh, we're in the middle of a three-week series called Busy is the New Happy, and today uh, a good friend of mine, a really old friend of mine actually, well you're not really old, but we've been uh, friends for a very long time, uh, Todd is coming to speak to us. Todd's a deputy principal at Mueller College, he's on the board of a large church, and he speaks in schools and churches and training events all over the place, so uh, can you give him a massive round of applause as he comes and shares with us this morning? Thank you, Mark. I, um, I like to hang around with Mark because he always makes me feel good because he says nice things about me that are somewhat true some of the time. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm appreciative of the start of winter coming just uh, about five days ago and the weather getting a bit cooler. I'm glad the weather's a bit fresher, the humidity's gone down. I don't know if everybody appreciates that. I see Mark is still wearing his thongs and his shorts, so he's probably still in denial about winter coming. But Things like the weather are a matter of perspective, aren't they? Like some people like the hot weather, some people like the cold weather. I like both. I just like there to be both, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't like it to be hot all year. In life, we'd like to think that everything is black and white and that this is right and this is wrong. And certainly some things are. We know that eating vegetables and exercising is good for you and eating pizza and fairy floss is bad for you, but not everything is black and white like that. A lot of things in life are simply a matter of opinion. And we're going to talk about busyness today, and, and one person's busy is one person's quiet, and vice versa. There's a couple other things I wanted to talk about as a matter of opinion, just to kind of survey the crowd to see who we're dealing with here today. But um, the first one I've got is, um, if you could just rub that picture of the... Uh, that's roast pumpkin. Can I get a show of hands who loves roast pumpkin? Any, is there any fellow pumpkin haters in the room? I, I think pumpkin is the most evil vegetable ever and I got fed it as a child and I grew up in that house where you had to eat everything on your plate but we had a dog that I used to feed the pumpkin to until the dog became a fellow pumpkin hater, just got sick of it and then I had to kind of wrap it in a tissue to get rid of it, I just, it just makes me feel ill, even, I, I hate sweet potato because it looks like pumpkin um, and even you know when someone, ser- I, I, like they serve you an orange vegetable I say is that, is that pumpkin, they go no no it's sweet potato but in there is a sneaky bit of pumpkin. Oh, I have a physical reaction to it. My, my kids don't like it either, but my wife does, so she has to make it for herself. Um, another one I've got up here, another matter of opinion. Any cricket lovers in the room? I see I'm in the minority in this room. Any cricket haters in the room? My kids have gone out now, so they... I, I raised this at the breakfast table today, and they, made, they were in no uncertain terms made clear to me that they all hated cricket. And I have a son as well, which is devastating. I mean, the positive is I get to watch it by myself, but 
Is there nothing better than what, listening to the cricket on a summer's afternoon? I love it. The big, the big thing, I guess, and the topical thing is this one. Do we have a preference here? Who do we think is better? Well, we know who's better, but who do we like? Queensland, we got any Queenslanders? New South Wales? I have total respect for New South Wales supporters having lost so often. It shakes down all the people who are the kind of closet supporters. It's just left with the diehards. So I have total respect if you're a New South Wales fan. 15 years ago at school, you couldn't find a Queensland supporter. Now they're all Queensland supporters. But these things are just a matter of opinion. There's no better or worse. It's just what people like, what people prefer. And being busy is a little bit like that. There's people out there in this room who love to be busy, that being busy energises you, you thrive on it, it motivates you, it excites you, that when you get to the weekend you want to be exercising, you want to be doing work in the yard, you want to be going out with your friends, going to church, serving, doing whatever it is, being busy is just what gets you going. There's other people who like to have no agenda. Look at the day ahead of them and say, well, I can decide what I want to do, I can, I can do something if I want, I can do nothing if I want, and being busy is just a bit of a drag. Truth be told, probably we're all, we, ha- I, I, we like both at different times, uh, we, we sort of drift between those two extremes at some times in our life. But is busyness therefore good or is busyness bad? Is, is it better for us to be busy or is it better for us to not have too much to do? I looked up a little bit of research to see what they say and, and a couple of weeks ago there was two articles published on being busy. One said that if you are busy, you are more productive, more content and happier. The other article said that if you are busy, you are less creative, less imaginative and it leads to burnout. So these researchers, these scientific researchers, they're both saying, look, it's good and it's bad to be busy. Leaves us in a position where, well, what do we do? Do we, do we aim to, to be, fill our time up or do we aim to have a bit of spare time? So... I look to the Bible, and the Bible has heaps of stuff about work, about how good work is, about the importance of work. It talks about when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that God said, I've got work for you to do, and it is good. So he said to them, it's, it's good to work, it's good to be busy, it's, it's not good for you to be sitting around and doing nothing. And even when, when they sinned and things all went wrong, the, the promise wasn't, well, now you're going to have to work more, it's that your work will be harder and less fruitful. The Bible says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief. The Bible says we need to to be working, we need to be doing things. It's good to be busy. But the Bible also talks a lot about rest. The Bible says, come to me and you will find rest. Come to me if you're weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. The Bible says it's good to work and it's good to rest. So the, the Bible is also saying, look, busyness is good and busyness is bad. Or not... Well, rest is not business is bad, but business is good and rest is good. So what do, what do we do with this? There's, a, there's this prevailing view, and I, I, um, I read the newsletter um, about what my sermon was going to be about today, which is um, I probably should have read a week ago, but um, it talks about how advances in technology, and we are busier now than we've ever been. And it's, it's true, isn't it, that um, I guess with technology it, it means access, and if, if you have a job you can now be accessed more easily, um, a few years ago when I got a new job at Mueller, they, they gave me, generously gave me a phone, like an iPhone. And I thought, how good is this? I'll be able to just find out the cricket score whenever I want. I'll be able to play some games on it. And then at the start of the next year, 
I found out I got it because when, when teachers are sick, they have to ring me up and I have to replace them. I have to find, not, I don't have to teach all their classes, but find someone to teach them. I thought, ah, oh, just busy. This phone, what was really good is just making me busier. But, and it is true that technology and stuff makes us busy, but I think sometimes we kid ourselves as well to think that, that it's tougher on us than it's been on past people. A hundred or so years ago, people were working six days a week, 12-hour shifts. Before that, they were working with almost no days off. So it's not like people back then weren't busy. They were just different busy. And if you look at the Bible, um, definitely Jesus was a very busy man. I've got, a, I've got a passage here from Mark 1. If you've got a Bible, you can read it, uh, follow it. This is just from the message version, and um, it'll be on the screen. So this is a day in the life of Jesus. Early on, obviously, the first book of Mark. It says, um, they entered Capernaum. Now, I imagine Jesus, like, I don't know what you think of when you think of Jesus, but I, I don't think of him as being particularly rushed or hasty. Or I, didn't, I guess I never thought about how, how busy he was. I, I thought of the things he did in isolation and maybe they were spread over a long period of time rather than being in a, like a 24-hour time period. But when you read this, you see... Um, what, what a day was like for his, him. It says uh, in verse 21 there, Then they entered Capernaum, which was just a town, when the Sabbath arrived. Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the day there teaching. So they have travelled to a town. As soon as he gets there, it says they lost no time and he started teaching, which he did all day. So all day he's teaching in the synagogue. So he's, he's debating with people. He's, he's teaching. He's discussing. He's, he's thinking. You know what those days are like when your brain's working all day, how tiring it is. There's a bit there I skipped over where he, um, he kind of, a guy with a demon yells out and he, he removes the demon. And then when his day finishes, in verse 29, it says directly on leaving the meeting place. So it doesn't say he had a coffee or anything. He, directly on leaving, they came to Simon and Andrew's house accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with fever. So as soon as he's left there, he's gone to this house where he was going to have dinner and Simon's mother is ill with a fever. So what he does is he, he heals her of that and then she starts getting dinner for them. So win-win situation, I guess, there. Um, so, so he sits down for dinner with the person he's just healed. But because people have heard that, it says that evening after the sun was down, they brought sick and evil afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. So he started the day travelling, arrived, went straight to the temple, started teaching, did that all day, went to this house. He was going to have dinner, but he had to heal the person who was cooking the dinner first. So he does that, he sits down, eats his dinner, and then the whole city shows up at his door for healing. And it, and it says he, he cured their sick bodies and tormented spirits. Um, and then it goes on with a bit of other stuff about um, some demons yelling out. But uh, his whole day is accounted for. I, never, I had never read it and thought... And I kind of read it for the big picture and not for the, the specifics of his day. I'm sure we all have busy days here. We, have, we know what that sort of day is. Not the, not the curing the sick and the teaching in the synagogue part, but the, we know what it is to have our whole day accounted for. To wake up in the morning, go, and, and it feels like it's 10 o'clock at night and then you, you maybe get to stop then. I see here where there's lots of people with small children. You would know exactly what I'm talking about. Your day doesn't finish at 10 o'clock at night. You wake up at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, hopefully... To, to feed your babies and, and do what... It's a, it's a busy life that we lead. And, and, and you would know what the tiredness that comes with this. You would know that the feelings inside you that, that make you grumpy or irritable. Um, I'm speaking from myself here. 
that, that we become good. And often that is a, a byproduct of our busyness is our demeanour. I used to um, teach this phys ed class at school. I still do. This is one from a while ago. But they used to tell me, if you ever rocked up to class and your jaw, you know, you these muscles in your jaw? They said, if we could see those muscles moving in your mouth with shut, we knew it was the day to put our head down and not muck around because you were cranky about something. I said, really? Was that obvious? They said, yep. I said, how often was that? And they said, oh, more than half the days. So uh, at least they were good enough to tell me. But being busy makes us grumpy, doesn't it, sometimes? And, and the topic of this message is, can we be busy and be happy? Well, happiness at the end of the day is a byproduct of other things. We, if we pursue happiness, it's tough to find. But being happy is a byproduct of other things in our life. And if we look at Jesus, there is a there is some things we can glean from his day and, and his response to this day. Because the danger of being busy, isn't it, is that, is that you're just so busy, you don't take time to enjoy life, you don't take time to reflect on what you're doing, to, to make sure what you are doing is the right thing, and you stick your head up, and, and it's 20 years later, and life has gone by. How does Jesus respond to this? How does Jesus respond to this situation? Well, in the next... Sorry, I stole your program, Brody. Um... In the next passage here, in verse 35, it says this. Uh, this, is, this is the next day now. While it was still night, way before dawn, he got up and went out to a secluded spot and prayed. Simon and those with him went looking for him, and they found him and said, everybody is looking for you. You can, you can just imagine this, can't you? Like, they've woken up, where's Jesus? There's all these sick people there probably waiting to be healed still. Oh, we better go find him. And they've, they finally found him after what? It was supposed to be a couple of hours or so, and they said, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Jesus said, let's go to the rest of the villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. He went to their meeting places all through Galilee, preaching and throwing out demons. So Jesus gets up way before dawn. So the answer here today, if you want to be busy and happy, is to get up way before dawn. So we're going to have a response time later on where you get your phones out and set an alarm for tomorrow. No, you can, if, you can if you want, but like, uh, that's not real. This is, it, we look at this and think there's a pattern here to follow. And if, if you read any books on, um, oh, there's this whole sort of like genre of books out there on productivity and how can you be more productive at work, they all talk about what's your morning routine, what are you going to do in the morning, that the morning's the most important part of the day and you've got to follow this pattern. And, and funnily enough, they say drinking a glass of water as soon as you get out of bed is really good. I don't know. I have coffee, says water and coffee. Um, tick. They say make your bed. They reckon making your bed is like this thing that sets you up for the day because you've done a job and now you, like the, the rest of the challenges of the day are just going to flow because you've made the bed. Exercise, have breakfast. They say take some time, some quiet time. I, I don't know what time these people are getting up, but I don't know. You, I sometimes get up half an hour before I go to work, so there's a lot to do in half an hour. But... It's not about following this as like a pattern. This is the routine you have to have in the morning, although there are some things in here to do. It's about looking at this, about how Jesus approached his life, how Jesus approached his ministry, how Jesus approached the demands of people on his life, even the closest people to him, the disciples, even the needy people, the the sick people who he had been helping the day before. What we can take out of this passage is, is that Jesus has, a, has some things that he did, some ways he lived his life. And the first thing was that Jesus was purposeful about the way he lived his life. There's nothing worse is it, than doing a job and, and feeling like at the end of it, it all wasn't worth it. 
I don't know if you watch the TV show Survivor. Um, I watch a fair bit of Survivor. Probably makes me busy. I probably shouldn't tell you that as I'm still talking about busyness that I watch TV. But um, they, they were in the last series. They were doing this thing where they had to build this tower, and they had to like a, like it was obviously they stand on something that's wobbly and have to build it. And you, and you get to this tower. Once you build it to a certain height, you win. And the whole thing was about them building it, and, and just about everyone would do it, and then the whole thing would fall down. And really the challenge wasn't about building something, it was about how you can bounce back from the crushing feeling of your thing falling down. And that's a bit like life, isn't it? There's that feeling where you work sometimes, and there's that crushing feeling that it all wasn't worth it. Have you ever written a report and handed it to the boss and then it doesn't get read or doesn't, nothing happens with it? Or you clean the house. My wife cleans the house on Fridays and then me and the kids come home and five minutes later she's saying, I don't know why I bothered cleaning the house because it's like a tornado has come through here which is me more than the kids probably, but I don't, I don't, if you've made a meal and it's not, that feeling of is it worth it? And, and that, I, I think, if you were going to, they actually do studies on this where if, if you're going to torture someone, you get them to do meaningless work over and over again and, and it just crushes them. The point of work is that it needs to have purpose. The point of our busyness is that it needs to have purpose. And maybe the attraction of busyness in some ways is that it just distracts us from life and we don't have to confront anything hard or painful in our life. But Jesus had a clear handle on what his purpose was. His purpose was to come to reconcile the world to God, to save us from our sins. His purpose wasn't just to save the people of that point in history, it was to save you and me who live now 2,000 years later. When he came to earth, he had a clear sense of what he was there for. He says to the disciples, let's go to the rest of the villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. He didn't just come to heal the sick in Capernaum. Whilst that was really important, he came to do many things. And he he had a bigger picture to his life. It's important for us to know what our purpose in, the big story of our life. What are we here for? And that's a hard question sometimes for us to answer. And when you hold that lens up to the things you do, it can make some of the things we do in our life seem pointless. I came to the realisation, I come to it many times, but when I was writing this as well, that that watching sport, reading about sport in the newspaper, listening to podcasts about sport, it's probably a waste of time, maybe. Not not totally, I don't think. You definitely need downtime in your life. You definitely need things you do that relax you. But doing it all the time, it's it's not really linked to, to the reason I'm here. Being the fourth highest score in Tetris on, on the iPad app, whilst it's... I'm not even the fourth, I don't know, I'm probably like 4,000th. Um, or winning the Stick Cricket World Cup, it's not, it's not really going to say... It's not... I like to, it makes me feel good, but it doesn't like save the world or anything. Joyce Meyer says, Did you know there's a difference between busy, being busy and being fruitful? Did you ever stop to think that just being busy... Running around in circles all day but not accomplishing anything is the same as wasting your time. It's frustrating to expend so much energy and time and not have any fruit from your effort. She's not saying here it's wrong to be busy. What she's saying is that we need to be purposeful. We need to be doing things that are important. Now, the fact of our life is that there's many things we do that are seemingly unimportant. Like, I'm the one in our house who washes up. So I wash up every day and you sort of go like, well... They're just going to get dirty again, then I'm going to have to wash them up again. And the dishwasher broke about a week ago, so oh, anyway, it's not about my washing up. But uh, it's true that you, we, there's things in our life we have to do that are like that. But overall in our life, we need to be moving towards a purpose. 
the good news is this, is that God has given us a purpose. When Jesus came, he didn't just come to save us, to forgive us, but he came to give us a purpose. And in Ephesians it says, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we could walk in them. If you're a Christian, God has things for you to do that are purposeful. Now, those things might be really big things. Those things might be really small things. Those things might be washing up. Those things might be cleaning up. Those things might be teaching. Those things might be just getting beside your neighbour. But these, God has these good works for us to do. And, and it is his purpose that makes them good, not necessarily the nature of the activity. There are many people out there who are doing great things because they have started somewhere simple. Um, there's a lady who are, uh, my kids used to go to this school where she, she just started to think, well, I'm going to cook meals for people in need. So she started cooking meals, putting them in a freezer. I don't even know how they gave them out, but the pastor of the church or whoever. And it grew and it grew and it grew to this huge ministry where there's meals. If someone is struggling, how great is it when you can get a meal? It's such an easy thing to do for people. It's such a simple thing, but it's part of God's greater purpose for our lives. There are heaps of things out there we can do. This passage in Ephesians, excuse me, the great thing about it is that before it, just before this verse, it says, we have not been saved by our own works. We have been saved by God's grace. It is, it is not what we bring to the table, but what he brings to the table that makes us adequate or able to do this. If you're sitting there thinking, that's well and good, but I'm not Christian enough, I sin too much, I'm not able to do this, God is saying today that none of us are that. It is only in him that we are that. So whatever we have, it has a purpose in him. Jesus knew what his purpose was, and in his busyness, he organised his life around that, as best he could. I understand that we have responsibilities and timetables and all that we have to keep, but we can organise ourselves around our purpose. So the first thing Jesus was, was he was purposeful. The next thing that flows from that is he was intentional about what he did. When we have a purpose, when we know what that is, we are able to make decisions about this and that in our life with that in mind. We, we are saved from having to say yes to everything. Um, I'm not someone who is like pop culture, hipster kind of guy. I, pr- I feel like in my head I'm still in the 90s really. But um, you know how like they have like hashtags on Instagram and stuff? There's one that says is FOMO. I don't know if you know what FOMO is. It is fear of missing out. So FOMO, or the other one is YOLO. I sound even stupid saying it, but... Uh, <laughs> As I say, I feel like my mates are just going to pay me out for even uttering them, but you only live once. And it's this whole idea that, um, there's actually a definition. This is the definition of FOMO. It's anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on a social media website. Another definition is living our lives constantly worrying that rewarding experiences may be occurring without us present. I can assure you today that that is happening. Somewhere else, something good is happening. Somewhere else, a better speaker is speaking to people. Somewhere else, things are happening that are really good. We, we spend our lives missing out on things. That's just the nature of it. You, you can't do everything. And an, an offshoot of technology is that we just now can see what other people are doing all the time rather than just hearing about it later and saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, I don't even believe you anyway. But it is, that's what FOMO is. And we all suffer from it a little bit, don't we? We all suffer from it like, ah, I wish I'd done that or that's a missed opportunity or whatever. 
Kevin DeYoung, who wrote a book called Crazy Busy, says that whatever priorities you write down in your life, most people organise themselves around these. Number one, not, not necessarily in this order. Number one, look after your house and possessions. Number two, meet your deadlines. Number three, keep the people in your lives reasonably happy. He says there that if you look at how people live their lives, that's the three things that they... And as I read that, and I think, well, what have I... I've, I've, yeah, I've folded the washing, I've fixed the window, probably it'll break again, I'll have to fix it next weekend, but I, I, try to, I had to meet my deadline, get this sermon ready, and, I, and in that, I, you know, I was trying to not um, tick off the rest of my family. So that is how we live our life, isn't it? We may not acknowledge it, but that's often how we invest our lives. And we're also trapped in this idea we can do lots of things at once. I found, um, had a meeting today with a psychologist who was just talking about some learning things, and he said that multitasking is a myth, People who think they can multitask are actually switching between tasks. You can only think of one thing at once. So that's good for blokes who was always accused that we couldn't multitask. I can't, anyway. But we want to do too much at once. We don't want to miss out on things. And it creates in us a split purpose that we start doing things that maybe we could better spend our time doing something else. Well, how do we go about making these? Because time is a non-renewable resource. Time is the one thing that is running out at the rate of one second every second. We, we are losing time. Now, that is not designed to make people anxious, but just to, to, to be intentional about how they use it. How do we make decisions? And how did Jesus, in fact, make decisions about this? There's a little, a little tool here. Um, it's from a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's, it's um, two concentric circles, just a way to think about it. I've got a picture of it up there. But um, there's an inner circle, and that inner circle has... Um, that's it. The, the, the lighter grey circle there is, is your circle of influence. So what that is, is the things in your life that you can actually do something about. Your family, parts of your job, your community, you can do things about your relationship with God. You can, this is what you have control, or not, not, not even control over, but influence over. Outside of that is your circle of concern. Outside of those things that you don't have any influence over that just happen around you. Um, there's a federal election going on at the moment. I will have one vote's worth of influence over how that's going to turn out. Um, I'm not about to launch a social media campaign cheering for one team or the other. So my influence in that area is going to be really small. The best way I can invest my time is on the things that I can have an impact over. If people talk about wanting to have an influence over the environment, they often say, well, you've got to think global, act local. Do something about your local environment. And it's the same in our life, is that we can do things about that that is around us our neighbours, our church, our job. Jesus had to think like that as well. Not, he obviously didn't call it this, but he was thinking like this as well. So he's out there, he's praying, he's in this secluded place. He was out there for a couple of hours. The disciples find him and say, everybody is looking for you. This is really important. In another part of the Bible, it's the same story, but he responds like this. Um, it's Luke 4, 42 to 44. Uh, it's, it's the same passage. He left the next day for an open country. Da, 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 da. He told them, don't you realise that there are yet other villages where I have to tell the message of God's kingdom? This is the work that God has sent me to do. It wasn't even that Jesus was knocking back going out for dinner. He wasn't knocking back a game of soccer or something. He was knocking back healing sick people in a town that needed him. The reality of our lives is we are going to have to knock back good opportunities. We're going to have to knock back worthy causes and important tasks sometimes. 
If we have a handle on our purpose and we are already busy people, we just can't keep taking things on. We have to organise ourselves around our purpose. Sometimes that is going to make us busier. Sometimes we're going to have to say yes to spend... Sometimes we will say yes to spending time with a friend, celebrating a milestone, completing a project, cleaning the house, being there for a neighbour, helping someone out in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's about saying yes to those things and that's going to make us busier. But sometimes it's about saying no. Saying no to another commitment, saying no to attending that meeting, saying no to joining that committee or having to stay really late at work. Sometimes, I mean, we obviously have responsibilities. If you have children, you can't say no to looking after their needs. But in other parts of our life, there are areas where we can say no and there are areas where we need to say yes to fulfil our purpose. That is what Jesus was doing here. He is saying, I can't go back to Capernaum. I have to keep moving and going to the next place because that is why I've come. Often we are busy because we, are, we seek approval from others or we want to be seen as important, we want to meet expectations, we want to prove ourselves. Jesus was not driven by these needs. He was driven by his mission and he could be intentional about it. But even he knew that he couldn't do it all on his own, that in, in himself he wasn't able to do it. So whilst he was purposeful and whilst, whilst he was intentional, the other thing we can get out of this passage is that Jesus was dependent. He was completely dependent on God for his strength, for the energy, for the, for the needs to fill this purpose. That is why he was out praying before it was dark. Because he recognised that he had another day in front of him that was just like yesterday. Everyone wanting his time, everyone wanting his, that, what he could give them. And he knew that he couldn't give that from himself that he had to be dependent upon God. That is the same for us. We all know that we don't have the answers to everybody's problems necessarily. We know that we can't fix everything. What we need is we need God to provide us with the answers, to provide us with the strength. Jesus' response at a time of extreme busyness, of opportunity, popularity and productivity is different to how we probably respond, certainly how I respond. Jesus' response to that time is to go into solitude and to pray. When we get busy, when we get under the pump, what we can tend to do is the first thing that goes is the quiet time, the solitude, the prayer. It gets squeezed out because we've got to get up early and do this thing or we've got to stay up late and do this thing. The busier he gets, the more he prays. The more vastly and greater his busyness increases, the greater his time of prayer. As we look at Jesus, we can see that he put a huge priority on prayer and he saw its power in his life. This is, this is Jesus, our example here. Not, not just another man, but Jesus is showing us the way to live our life. He is showing us the dependence, not just the, the getting up early and praying, but the dependent way he lived his life. Part of the attraction of being busy is to not be dependent. Part of what is honoured in our society is independence. Almost like that people are dependent upon you. If lots of people need you, then you are therefore important. And, and like, but I'm busy because lots of people rely on me. And I find myself saying, I've got to do this because you know, if I wasn't here, this wouldn't get done. This week I was away for a couple of weeks at a conference, a uh, couple of days, sorry. I came back, on, I was away Monday, Tuesday, came back Wednesday, and someone's so I said, how was the conference? So everyone said, how was the conference? I said, oh, yeah, it was pretty good. 
But the thing that, that struck me was just how, like, the world just goes on. You're away for two days. It's not like, it's not like everything, everything paused while I was away. Like, it wasn't... You, it, it actually puts you in your place and shows you that, that I am not the, the nut that holds this organisation... Like, the, yeah, the nut on a screw, not the... Like, anyway. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. Um, that I'm not holding this whole organisation together but that I'm actually not all that important. There's many people who do it. And, and, and dependence is, is not something that is sought after. But Jesus here is, is making a habit of being dependent upon God. The practice of Jesus was to recognise how draining life was, how spiritually draining, and the only way he could do it was to fill up from God. At Mueller, Mueller is called Mueller College after George Mueller, and we have a cafe that's called Hudson's after a guy called Hudson Taylor. And the other day I was reading on stuff and... Uh, nothing to do with Mueller College, but this, the guy who was writing coughed up two examples of people who'd lived this dependent life. One was George Mueller and one was Hudson Taylor, which I was, thought was pretty cool. George Mueller ran orphanages in England and he used to spend every morning just getting himself right with God, not necessarily asking for things, but just making sure that he was connected to God, that he knew that he couldn't get through this day with all these people needing him without being connected to God. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. He travelled all over China, obviously a very populated country. He barely got any time or space to himself. But he used to get up every morning really early when everyone else was asleep because that was the only time he could get a space. And it was the same, just to commune with God. It's, Jesus here isn't necessarily coming to God asking for heaps of things. He is coming to God to recognise this relationship, that he is God and we are his people, that he is our source of everything, strength, grace, peace, everything. If we are expected to pass that out to people, we have to be receiving it from him. This, this productivity literature I was talking about before, all of it says, oh, you've got to meditate in the morning, you've got to do some quiet, you've got to meditate, you've got to spend some time focusing on your goals. We, we all know that we don't have all the answers ourselves. We can't work this out ourselves. The hallmark of my life as I look back is that I don't, I don't know what to do. I come every day and think, like, like, I have a fair idea, but I've got to work it out. And, and the only way we can make good decisions is under the, the leading of Jesus, under the strength of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. In fact, the metaphor the Bible says for us is that he is the vine and we are the branches. The Bible uses many sort of like agricultural metaphors in it, but it is true. We understand that we must be planted in something to function well. And we can't plant ourselves. We can't plant ourselves in ourselves. That's not going to work. We need to plant something or someone in us. Jesus is recognising that here, that fundamental to living this life is being connected to God, to being rooted in him is what it says. Yeah, we, we might take out time to, to focus on our goals or whatever, but what we need to do is take out time to plant ourselves in Jesus. And here's a reason. Trees go through seasons of dryness. Trees go through seasons of affliction. We've got this uh, like rose, oh, it's not a tree, it's about a metre high. We're on our second one, the first one died, but it, uh, we would watch it and it would, we'd come out one day and it was flowering. We'd come out another day and a heap more buds had grown. We'd come out another day and the insects had eaten a heap of it. Come out another day and it was just dying. They go through cycles like this. The only thing that gets them through it is that they're planted, that they've got roots down into something. And it is the, our lives are like that. We will go through seasons of growth, seasons of affliction, seasons of fruit, seasons of, of 
attack, I suppose. But the only thing that is going to get us through it is being planted into something, being dependent upon something. Being busy is not necessarily good or bad. Jesus doesn't say, be busy, don't be busy. His message is that, that understand what our purpose is and that that purpose is in him, that he's done more than just save us. Just saving us is so wonderful, but he's given us a purpose as part of his kingdom. He wants us to be intentional about what we do. You as a church here are being intentional today in the way you're running this service. He wants us to, for our actions to support that purpose, but most of all, it, none of it functions unless we are dependent upon him. We can't do this on our own. We can't live our lives on our own. It, it will... We will not be able to do those first two things without being dependent. Jesus couldn't and we couldn't. Well, let's pray. Well, we just thank you that, uh, that you give us so much more than your son. Your son, just, just to forgive our sins is so incredible, Lord. It's so amazing. It's so, it's so freeing. Lord, but yet you give us more than that. You make us part of your work. You make us part of your purposes here on earth. We thank you for Jesus, for just the perfect life he lived, the sacrifice he was for us. We thank you that now, so many years later, we can look back at his life and see how he did it. But more than that, Lord, we can have your Holy Spirit inside us that helps us to do it, that communicates with us, that gives us peace. Lord, I just pray for each person here. No doubt there is someone here today who's going through a really busy time, an overwhelming season in their life where they can't see through it. Lord, I just pray that you just encourage their heart today, Lord. That, that you'll be near to them, that they will know your presence in their life, Father. Just pray for those who are maybe making decisions about their priorities, making decisions about their purposes. I, I have a decision to make, which is hard, Lord. You, Jesus had to make hard decisions between two good things. Just pray that you'll lead them, Father, you'll encourage them as well, Lord, that, that, that you'll make the, the way clear for them, Lord God. And Just pray for each of us as we go about our day, Lord, as we go about our week. Um, the many demands on people's lives, the, the full-time parents, Lord, who have to look after the kids, the people, the people who have a job, the people who have, who have other things they have to do in their life, Lord. We just, just pray that they will be able to do this in your strength and not their own, Lord, that, that they will find a way to, to be dependent upon you, Lord. We just, we just thank you that you are everything to us, that we don't have to meet a behavioural standard, that we don't have to meet a meet a, a criteria to be able to do this, Lord, but you just say, come to us, that, 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 you, that you have your arms open to us, Lord, and we, for that we just want to say thanks. Amen. Awesome, thanks. Um, the interesting thing is when, um, when Jesus was actually asked about his purpose or when he was explaining what his purpose was, he, he described it in a few different ways, but in, um, in Mark chapter 10, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And then he goes on to give this, this incredible statement. He says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And um, if you're kind of new to Christianity, you're kind of checking this whole thing out, you've probably heard the story of Adam and Eve. You're probably wondering, is this really true? Is this just a, an analogy or a story that someone's made up? But the Bible seems to teach that these were real people and that somehow, and it's a bit hard to understand, but somehow because they rebelled against God and, and they they, I guess, just went their own way. It's as if somehow sin entered the world and they were taken hostage. They were taken captive by sin. And since that moment in time, God has been doing everything he can to win them back. But when someone's taken hostage, you can't just say, well, come home, come home, come home. It's not enough to come home. There literally has to be a ransom paid. Somebody has to pay. And Jesus says, I came to pay that ransom. I came to give my life 
as a ransom for many. And 2,000 years ago, we as Christians, those of us who, who actually have come to believe that this man wasn't just an ordinary man, but he was the Son of God, we believe 2,000 years ago that he literally came to earth, not just to serve, but to literally lay down his life as a ransom, as a payment, so that every single person who's ever been created, black, white, male, female, gossip, slanderer, adulterer, liar, fornicator, drunkard, every kind of sin you could possibly imagine, everyone who's ever lived, that Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for many so that we could be released from that hostage, uh, released as hostages, we could be released from captivity. And there's a sense in which that has happened for all people. But some of us are still with our captor, um, with our, we're still being held hostage. And there's a sense in which, okay, Jesus has paid the ransom, but he's just waiting for us to pick up the phone saying, hey, it's time for me to come home. I want to come back home. I want to be in the family again. I want to live life under your guidance and have you as my heavenly father. And today, if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity. We're going to take communion in a minute. And, and this is just something that all churches do, and they do it in different ways. And if it's a bit strange, I get that. But if you're saying today, I believe Jesus paid my ransom, or I want Jesus to be the ransom for me, I want to be set free from the power of sin. I want to be set free from the consequences of sin. And you want Jesus to come into your life to pay for all your sin and to transform you from the inside out. We would just invite you to come and take communion and say his death on the cross was for me. Let's pray together. In this moment, Jesus, we just declare we need you. Not just as an example of how to live our daily lives, although we need that, but ultimately we need you to lay down your life as a ransom. We thank you that you have done that. And in this moment, Jesus, we declare that we believe you are enough. We believe you died on the cross to pay for our sins, to buy us back. We believe that you rose from the dead. And the best way we know how, we put our life and eternity in your hands. Give us your spirit to come into our life and make us the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you believe that today, I just invite you. We're going to have a video clip come up. Just come and take communion.